The views and opinions expressed by various contributors to 98.5 CKWR and its radio programs are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of 98.5 CKWR Wired World, Inc., its broadcasters, staff, or volunteers. Listeners are urged to use their own discernment and draw their own conclusions. Good morning and welcome to Visions and Sound. My name is Rob Daniels. Now, for those that may be joining me for the very first time, Visions and Sound is a movie, TV, and video game soundtrack program that I produce each and every week here on 98.5 CKWR. Well, here we are, show number 46 of 2020 and show 1047, if you're keeping track that way. This week, we continue Bond Month. Now, originally, No Time to Die was supposed to come out this month, but of course, due to COVID-19 and, well, 2020 being 2020, that film got moved to April 2021. This week, we are celebrating the 25th anniversary of GoldenEye. Now, joining me on the show this week, all the way from Ramsgate, England, is Jason Drury. Jason, welcome to the show again. Okay. Good morning. Good, good, good to be here once again. Yeah, it's always great to have you here on the show uh, with your, your insights on, well, not just uh, film music, but the films as well. So this 17th film in the Bond James Bond series was the first to star Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. It was directed by Martin Campbell and is the first in the series not to utilize any story elements from the novelist Ian Fleming. Timothy Dalton was supposed to fulfill a three-film contract and work started on said third film in May of 1990. The film would have been an adaptation of Fleming's short story, The Property of a Lady, and would have featured a terrorist attack on a British nuclear facility in Scotland threatening to cause World War III. Bond, traveling to East Asia to investigate corrupt businessman Sir Henry Lee Ching, along with jewel thief Connie Webb and Bond fighting his former mentor, Denholm Crisp. Dalton said in a 2010 interview that the script was, as, he's, as he puts it, ready and we were talking directors. Before the project entered development, hell, 
caused by legal problems between Metro-Golden-Mayer, parent company of the series, distributor, United Artists, and Broccoli's um, company as well. Owners of the Bond film rights, uh, when asked what he would do following the resolution of the lawsuits, Dalton told Broccoli or Bra- Broccoli um, that was unlikely that he would continue in the role. Now, GoldenEye was released after a six-year hiatus. I believe, Jason, that was the longest hiatus between yes. Bond films. Yes, as you, you, you probably you spoke about last week, how quick the Bond films uh, in the sixties in came out. This was the, the longest gap between Bond films. Through no fault of, of course, Timothy Dalton, they just, le- as you said, legal wranglings produced this hiatus. And so, Piers Bosman was up for the Bond role when Timothy Dalton took it. I think he was stuck with doing Robert Steele at the time. So, I think once uh, Dalton stood down, Bosman was the obvious choice to take over the reins of 007. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, where, where was I here? Goldeneye was released after a six-year hiatus in the series. Uh, caused by the aforementioned legal disputes during which Timothy Dalton resigned from the role of James Bond and was replaced by Pierce Brosnan. Brosnan was originally asked to take on the role of James Bond, and in 1986, NBC cancelled Remington Steele. Brosnan was offered the role of James Bond, but publicly, uh, Im- uh, or but the publicly improved, uh, the, rather the publicity. Try this again. The publicity, if I'd actually read the words properly, but the publicity improved Remington Steele's ratings and it was renewed, contractually requiring Brosnan to return to the show. Now, while Brosnan was reluctant to discuss losing the Bond role, in part because Dalton was a friend, he, re- he appeared in a Diet Coke commercial portraying what the Los Angeles Times described as a dashing Bond-like character. After all the legal issues had been resolved on June 7th, 1994, Brosnan was announced as the fifth actor to play Bond. Now, M was also recast, with uh, Judy Dench becoming the first woman to portray the character, replacing Robert Brown. The role of Miss Moneypenny was also recast, with Carolyn Bliss uh, being replaced by Samantha Bond. Desmond Llewellyn was the only actor to reprise his role as Q. It was also the first Bond film made after the fall of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War, which provided a background for the plot. The name Goldeneye pays homage to James Bond creators Ian Fleming's uh, while working for British Naval Intelligence as a lieutenant commander. Fleming liaised with the Naval Intelligence Division to monitor developments in Spain after the Spanish Civil War in an operation codenamed, get this, Operation Goldeneye. Fleming used the name of this operation for his estate in Jamaica as well. Now, I did see the film back in 1995 in the theater. Uh, The thing I can remember most was a concerned father asking us if we thought that the opening credits would be too explicit for his young son. Uh, we didn't know, we hadn't seen the film yet, but assured the father that it probably would be no more explicit than any other Bond opening. Now, the music was written by Eric Serra, and we'll definitely talk more on this later, with the opening song written by Bono and The Edge, and was performed by Tina Turner. Since the producers did not collaborate with Bono or, or The Edge, and the film score did not incorporate any of the theme song's melodies, as was the case in previous Bond films. 
Also, Swedish group Ace of Bass had also written a proposed theme song, but label Arista Records pulled the band out of the project, fearing negative impact in case the film flopped. Uh, the song was rewritten as their single The Juvenile, and the soundtrack for Goldeneye was released on Virgin Records America. So before we get into talking about our opinions on this particular score, let's give people a little bit of a listen to the score before um, people start making judgments on it just yet. And we'll discuss this when we get back, Jason. So uh, here is some of, well, first of all, the, the main theme song performed by Tina Turner and some of the, some of the score from the film GoldenEye. So we'll be back in just a bit. It's a gold and honey trap I got for you 
And with a little bit of music from the 1995 film GoldenEye, as we are celebrating the 25th anniversary of the film. Now, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound, or you can try me, I am on the Twitter at Visions Sound, or you can try me at uh, my website, visionsinsound.ca. It can also be found on Apple Podcasts. Uh, just go type in Visions in Sound into your search engine on on Apple uh, or iTunes and um, look for me there under Podcasts. So welcome back to Visions in Sound. As uh, Like I said, this week we are celebrating the 25th anniversary of Golden Eye. Now, the soundtrack was composed by and performed rather by um, Eric Serra. Bond composer John Barry said that despite an offer from Barbara Bro- uh, Broccoli, he turned down Goldeneye. Sarah's score has been criticized, some saying it was more appropriate for a ride on an elevator than a ride on a roller coaster. And Sarah completely failed in his attempt to tie Goldeneye to the franchise's past. Jason, I know you've been uh, just itching to get your opinions on GoldenEye out. So uh, before we get before we go any further, have at it. Right. right, let's talk about the score first for a change. I remember buying the disc. It was a brand, one of the selling points of it is gold CD. And I thought, this sounds really good, a gold CD. So I'll play, play, play a really... It's, it's James Bond can't go wrong it's going to be really really great right so I put a CD in played it and I thought what this is not Bond <laughs> what is what, what story is this it's, it's what, 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 what's going on here the music now to me is well I think it's it's, it's uh, a quote by David Arnold puts it better it was a great it's a score that the world wasn't really ready for Okay. It's ahead of its time. Probably it was done today. It probably would have been more appreciative than it was then. Because it wasn't the Bond. You're expecting the traditional James Bond score with a lot of the John Barry sound, a lot of brass there, a typical orchestral score. This was completely different. A lot of um, samples, a lot of electronic stuff. It was very, like, in a way, 90s in its in its vibe. But it wasn't really a Bond score as such. Mm-hmm. And that, that was one of the problems of it on, on the first listen. Now, I listened to it again, I think, for the first time in you know, like 20-odd years now, the last night, and really and uh, really listened to it carefully and, and studied it a bit more. And I feel that, okay, I still don't think it's a, the greatest Bond score ever composed. Of course. But it may not... It be, probably the criticism of it could be... You know, maybe maybe a bit too much. I can I can see listening to it a second time. I can see where Sarah was trying to do. He was trying to make it a more modern feel to more modern feel, and he probably wasn't really an orchestral composer at the time. As a he had to thank John Altman for his excellent work. That wonderful piece you just played before the strings. One of the highlights of the score, mm-hmm. in my opinion. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful. This is very the closest you get to like the John Barry sort of feel. What John Bond the, the feel, but. It, it, it is different. It was trying to, they were trying to do something different, and I think at the time, I think reading, reading, reading about it, 
they were there were still a lot of concerns about is this the sort of music we want to play for James Bond? It was it was it a James Bond sort of feel? Right. Is, is, is it a sort of sound we want to move on for? And you can see that uh, this was a, what happened the next time around. It was a complete contrast to what what happens here with when David Arnold came into this fold and produced like a the best Bond score we've never written never written by John Barry in, mm-hmm. in um, To One Never Dies. It, it's been it's basically been criticised. Somebody said it was a quote I think I read to you earlier which I thought I thought the score was done James Bond sounds it sounds like James Bond was, was on, on sort of magic mushrooms <laughs> it's, that, 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 that sort of feel to it but there's a lot it's, 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 I think it's one of the first one of the few scores when the, the main film was introduced on timpani I think the first time since Spartacus so it's, mm-hmm. you can say that and and I think you can all guess um, listening to that about Robert but uh, Sarah was a big fan of Go- of Goldfinger because you could hear the, the, the Goldfinger sample in there. Yeah, that's that. And there's, uh, and there's also one thing I did spot also listening to it last night. Now, is it a, is it a slight link to John Barry? Uh, do you remember? I think in the 1990s they did a radio edits of Dancing with Wolves, and it was like a like a pop sort of feel to it. Okay. On, on, yeah. 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 And some of that sample appears in this score. It feels like, oh man, this is like this is like the Dancing with Wolves uh, radio edit sort of feel to it. Okay. This very, which was it was like they did they did the Dancing with Wolves theme with um with this like a like a techno beat underneath it, which mm-hmm. was very unusual. It was very it's a very it's a very nice piece, but. Some of that element is in this score for some reason. I don't know why. Put it the same, same uh, interface, same piece of meat, same uh, sample section. But right. it, 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 it's the only real John Barry feel to it, which is very similar to John, John Barry. But overall, the the score is, is well, it's different. I think I can say that. Yeah. It's a different. It's, it's a neat take. It was a. I think it was a gamble. It didn't really pay off, and I think I think going back over the years, Sarah is so he would have done it another way if he was he was doing it now. To be to be fair, mm-hmm. Qu- f- quickly the film itself. I saw when I saw the film, it was okay. There was some there was something missing about the film. I I enjoyed it. it was some very some good action scenes. But there was also some bits where I thought were quite slow and very like went to a judging halt at times. A lot of uh, there's a lot of um, interaction. A lot of uh, a lot of talking in it. It's not as much, and it didn't feel as coherent as other Bond films as well. Obviously, Sean Bean appears in the film, and uh, Sean Bean does what Sean Bean usually does in films and dies. But as I don't say, we'll say that's a plot spoiler. But but but, but uh, it's, there was. Some, I remember seeing the film and thinking this is okay, but there's something missing about it. Yeah, there's something. There's something was. It wasn't as. It could have been okay, but it was something not fully. It didn't. They were trying. They were trying different things, and it didn't pay off as well. But I know Martin Campbell's also a great director. Mm-hmm. He's done so many good. I think he. he what he what he did with uh, when uh, Daniel Craig came on board with uh, Casino Royale was superb. He's, I think he's one of the right. best Bond directors. And uh, but uh, this film, it was okay, but it was. But she had. It had something missing to it when I, when I yeah. saw it at the cinema. I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't when I left it when I left it seen it. I wasn't fully satisfied. I haven't seen it for a little while since, but uh, there was there's some bits that I quite liked in it, but it seems to also end very like quietly. It didn't go off in a big bang like usually at the ending of Bond films. You also had that little final sequence when somebody one of the baddies comes up and has a, has a fight. That wasn't in there if I remember rightly, and it felt very it's like, it's like it uh, after. 
the final battle, you see like uh, a fade away and fizzle out at the end of the film. Okay. It was, it was it, but uh, that, that's my opinion. But uh, yeah, it's it's one of those films. Is, is, is a talk, it's a talk, real talking point amongst fans, music wise and also film wise. It's not the greatest Bond film, but I think it, 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 it is a film which uh, it, it's, it's a franchise taking steps away from a problem you can see you see the, the problems of the six years you know in this film it's just try it's it could have been so much better but anyway they, they learned their lessons i think for, when they went on to the following film tomorrow never dies yeah i think it became more the traditional bond elements so right. there you go <laughs> yeah trying to they were i think they were trying to modernize bond and kind of bring him into the 90s because there had been that that gap the last film was 89, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And so it was just coming out of the 80s. And I wish Timothy Dalton did some more Bond films. I thought it was superb as James Bond, but that's my, own, that's my opinion. Well, you see, the thing, that's that's something that you mention, or something I've, I've heard mentioned a few times, is that uh, Timothy Dalton, well, he I think he could have done at least two more James Bond I films. And uh, I thought, because I thought he was really good. Um, the fact that, uh, Pierce, I, I think they, they wanted Pierce Brosnan too much because he, he so fit the role of, of Bond. Um, but, but Dalton did it, did his, I thought he was a more, um, I've heard people call him a more vulnerable Bond, yes, a more, a more approachable Bond and, um, at a more, more in the end, a more realistic bond, a more a less of less of a of a, of a glorified stuntman, and more of more of the the spy that he's supposed to be. It was a real contrast to Roger Moore, who could who could have a big fight with somebody and and, and uh, not get treated in his trousers <laughs> and just uh, and, and raise an eyebrow. But he was uh, he, he, and compared to what he was, Timothy Dalton last is to kill, which was all blooded and all really it was. Fish. It was a, uh, it was a complete contrast, and it was such a, sh- it was such a shame he didn't, couldn't do more. Through no fault of his own, just due to legal wranglings. But mm-hmm. I think it would have been great to see him again because I really did enjoy. I wonder if you people actually enjoyed Life Secure. I thought it was really, really, really gritty, really good film. Well, the thing, the thing I find interesting is that uh, Michael Kamen never came back to do a uh, a Bond mm-hmm. score because uh, he came off of uh, License to Kill, um, mm-hmm. and so you know it, it's funny. That uh, uh, again, I mean, the last, what, what was uh, it was? No, it was John Barry that did uh, the Living Daylights. Yeah, that was so, his. La- that was his last Bond score. Yeah. So it, it would have been very interesting to see if um, Michael Kamen had continued as well in the series. But again, trying to modernize the James Bond sound, and at the same time trying to, um, you know, bring Bond into the nineties. Um, I, I think they, they kind of, uh, succeeded and more failed than anything, but I, I, you know, I remember watching the film in the theater and, and enjoying it. The, uh, the scenes with, um, uh, with Bond and, and, uh, and on a top, I thought were, were extremely, extremely well done. Um, I thought that the, uh, um, the, uh, the 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 female love interest with um but was it Boris, um, you know I am invincible kind oh, of oh yes that's so what oh yes what's his name um, um the, the Scottish actor was in um instinct oh, I forgot his name now oh, yeah so, too, so sorry yeah uh, oh, no, the, the actor he oh what's his name oh god 
Yeah, well, he well, was. He was. He, he was. He was good at it. I thought his name. I yeah, I, I. I am. I am. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank too. Unfortunately, we'll get it when we come back. Um, but yeah. Uh, so more on on the score here. Uh, later, John Altman. Alan, Alan Cumming. That's it. Alan, Alan Cumming. Cumming. That's it. Okay, I knew we'd get it eventually. Uh, later, John Altman provided the music for the tank chase in Saint Petersburg. Uh, Sarah's original track for the sequence can be found on the soundtrack as a pleasant drive in St. Petersburg. Trust me, we're going to do a little comparison on that. Now, uh, Sarah composed and performed a number of synthesizer tracks, including the version of the James Bond theme that plays during the gun barrel sequence. While Altman and David Arch provided uh, the more traditional symphonic music. So we're going to go back to a little bit of the uh, James Bond score as we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of GoldenEye here on the show. So here's a bit more from Eric Serra's score to GoldenEye.
with a little bit more music from the 1995 film GoldenEye. That's music by Eric Serra. Now, we're going to take something and do something very unique here on the show. Um, as mentioned earlier, uh, John Altman uh, was brought in to score the tank chase sequence uh, as a kind of a neat analysis. We'll first play A Pleasant Drive in St. Petersburg by Eric Serra. And then we'll follow that with the Altman Q released on Bond Back in Action, Volume 2. So, uh, in this case, performed by the City of Prague Philharmonic. So, here is the the um, unused uh, Eric Syracuse. It just happened to be on the, the soundtrack. And then, like I said, we'll follow that by the with the Altman Q. So, here is the Eric Syracuse.
So that is the uh, James Bond, uh, or this was the unused cue, rather, from the uh, um, the particular uh, the particular uh, Pleasant Drive in St. Petersburg. So now Jason and I were discussing this off air, and we said, yeah, this, I mean, Eric Sarah's really trying here. He's really trying to bring the James Bond feel to it. But as you said, Jason, and uh, I yeah. think you put it rather, rather, rather succinctly, you said um, this is Eric Sarah doing a James Bond score. Yeah. And it just happens to be that uh, he's not he's not John Barry. He's Eric Sarah doing his own take on on what a James Bond score should sound like. Yeah. But if you hire, if you want James John Barry, you hire John Barry. We're lucky. We're lucky if David Arnold came along, who was very into John Barry and you know his musical style. But mm-hmm. if you hire a composer, you've got to expect them to do to, to write their music in their style. You can't want them to do another impression of another composer. It'd be okay. There would be some elements of the the, the Barry. There was some Barry elements in there. And yep. I thought they would do that too, but. They will do it in their own way, and this is what Sarah is trying to do here. We've got to be—you got—you got to be fair for that. And I think this is at the point of the, when they were when when the school. I think it's good, late in the day they could not fire him. No, but they had to think of a way to improve the sequence their own way. So they decided that John Altman, who was already conducting this score at the time, would to, to have free, to, to, to compose a replacement, place this track at the weekend and make it more because it was this was the. This music was for the main set piece of the film, the, the tank, the, the, right. the uh, tank chase in St. Petersburg, right? And then the carnage, and they wanted a traditional James Bond sort of feel to it for that sequence, at least. So that's when John Altman came in. And that's yep. why, if you see the film, it is a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it is a jarring feel, considering what's, what's come before, and what comes after. But this sequence is, sounds completely different to what's come. What the score up to that point okay and the reason being that john altman was there and he con- he conducted if had even bigger orchestra than it was for the actual score actual elements of sarah's, sarah's score right and it, it's the closest you get to, to the digital james bond score in this in this five minute sequence and i think if they had the chance to they probably would have it was probably a possibility they could have even rejected sarah's score completely for somebody else yeah said, but they only they only had the time to do this sequence but as i said it's but as you say but it's sarah this is Sarah's take on James Bond. Right. If you hire, if you hire, you hire a composer, you, hire, you should recognize this is, you know, you let him do his thing. If he wants, like, if it, if you want a little bit go around and saw, you don't want him to do Hans Zimmer like he did, like he done in Tenet. Right. You need hire a composer to do what he does, do his take. If you don't like the take, reject it and find somebody else. Exactly. All right. So now, um, in in. Uh, in comparison, this is the actual uh, f- uh, track that was used in the film. This is a tank drive or tank drive around St. Petersburg. This is done by John Altman.
and the uh, Q tank drive around St. Petersburg. That is, in this case, John Altman. So now we've just we've heard the two Qs, uh, a pleasant drive in St. Petersburg and tank drive around St. Petersburg. What are, what are your thoughts, Jason? Well, as I said, the first one was Eric Serra's take on it. And right. the other one was John Altman's take on it. It's got a more traditional Barry sound. Yeah. They both have a, both have their merits. I think at the time, Altman's school, I can see Altman's piece was probably the best one to use in the film, even mm-hmm. though it does, as I say, stand like a, like a sore thumb. Well, yeah, that's the it, thing. In a film, you can hear it's done, done by somebody else. Yeah. Not said it's not, it's not the same guy. But, um, I think I just I think as I said to you before, I think it if it was this its score was done like twenty years ago, they would have accepted Sarah's Q. Yeah. But it is but I said this is if if he wasn't able to, to score the set piece, why was he allowed to complete the score? If you don't like what he's doing, did it have the opportunity I think it probably was too late to get another composer in. Yeah. But but if I hired him, I think they would. I think if I mentioned mentioned earlier to you of of ever, he was hired. Sarah so was hired because the producers liked one of his old one of his previous scores, The Professional. Yeah. They liked his music. They wanted that adapted to the Bond style. So that's what they got. Mm-hmm. got uh, if you hire a composer, you can you can you hiring a composer to write their take on the score, not right. a composer, not somebody who their take on the score, but in the style of somebody else. Film composers don't do impressions. <laughs> it's not they're not they're not they're not they're not, they're not um, you know they're not the John Coleshaw of um, of film music. I think well, my God, Chikino's probably the closest. He could do yeah. that. He did he did, close, he did the closest to John Barry's whatever with the Incredibles. But you don't if you come hire a composer, you hire a composer to write the music in their style. If it fits the film, as far as you're concerned, that's great. If it doesn't, maybe it could be okay. It's a nice score. Doesn't fit the film. Unfortunately, we had to find somebody else. But in this case, they, you can see with them changing the score and having somebody else write that's the important things in the film, but the producers were concerned that this this guy may not be the right person for the film. Right. Maybe a good composer. He can be a great composer, but some films may not suit your style. Mm-hmm. And this could this could be a case here. But but as I said, this is you can't blame Sarah. This is this is this is his take on James Bond. Right. And, if if you if you like it, that's you know, if you want, that that's what they've hired him to do, and he's he's doing he's he's doing his job here of doing a doing a Bond score, but in the style of Eric Serra. Exactly. So that's that's that take. Uh, personally, I think that the John Altman take or the John Altman cue really gives the triangle uh, player a workout. Mm. It's the most triangle I've heard in in a in a cue in a long time. But uh, as as a as a replacement cue, I can see why they did it. As you said, the fact that if they, uh, I think the producers were concerned that the that the score from Sarah was was missing some of the traditional Bond elements to it, and so I think that's why they went with the ultimate cue. But you know, uh, that's that's a producer's decision, and we are not producers; we are simply fans. And, uh, and, and some analysis on that is, was necessary. So it's interesting to note that a remastered GoldenEye has never been done, despite many of the other Bond scores getting a remastered treatment. So we're going to continue on with some more music from GoldenEye 
and uh, we'll be back in just a little bit.
Parkview Cemetery offers a full range of burial options in their newly expanded cemetery. These beautifully attended grounds in the heart of Waterloo have served our community since 1966. Parkview Cemetery has now expanded to offer families a green burial option too. Ask about pre-planning, then have that important talk with your loved ones about your final plans and enjoy the peace of mind that your wishes are in order. Visit Parkview Cemetery today, 335 University Avenue East, Waterloo. Insurance used to be simple. If your home burned down, you got enough money to replace it. Today, we're dealing with partial loss, exclusions, fluvial water loss, deductibles, and more. That's why it's important to talk to a broker like Jocelyn Insurance. We'll explain your options, get you proper coverage, and make insurance simple again. Jocelyn Insurance. Real people, real protection. A real insurance broker in Cambridge, Elmira, New Hamburg, Kitchener, Tavistock, and Wellesley. Jocelyn.com. That's J-O-S-S-L-I-N.com. Serving Waterloo Region. Real Radio. 98.5 CKWR.
And welcome back to Visions and Sound as we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of GoldenEye here on the show. Well, uh, the opening of the film features a, a rather huge bungee jump. The opening 220 meters, 720 feet, bungee, or foot bungee jump shot at the Contra Dam in Switzerland and performed by Wayne Michaels, was voted the best movie stunt of all time in a 2002 Sky Movies poll uh, and set a record for the highest bungee jump off a fixed structure. Now, the film itself earned over $26 million during its opening across 200 and, or 2,000 rather, 667 cinemas in the U.S. and Canada. In the UK, it grossed a record $5.5 million for a non-holiday weekend from 448 theaters and was the third biggest in history behind Jurassic Park and Batman Forever. It had the fourth highest worldwide gross of all films in 1995 and was the most successful Bond film since Moonraker, taking inflation in account. Interesting that it would be as successful and yet at the same time, the score just not being as accepted. It's weird. So, uh, well, why don't we just uh, continue on with some more music and then we can get on to our next section of the show. But here is some more music from the Eric Sarah score to GoldenEye as we're celebrating the 25th anniversary. Back in a bit. Thank you. 
bit of music from the 1995 film Goldeneye. That's music by Eric Serra, including an end title song, as we both put it, uh, very underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. As as we'll say, surely, uh, surely Goldfinger, it wasn't really. Was no, it? <laughs> uh, so definitely a little bit of a did not did not help his cause, unfortunately. No, kind of uh, as as you probably best put it, the film just kind of sputtered out and didn't. Uh, didn't end with a bang as the uh, as uh, it, it it maybe should have. In any case, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online, facebook.com slash visionsinsound, or I am also on the Twitter, at visionsound, or you can try me on my website, visionsinsound.com. 
Visionsinsound.ca. I'm also on Apple Podcasts. Just type in Visions in Sound into the search engine and look for me under, under podcasts. So we would be remiss in our duties if we did not mention the 1997 game GoldenEye as much a part of this history as the film itself. GoldenEye 007 is a 1997 first-person shooter developed by Rare and published by Nintendo for the Nintendo 64, based on the, of course, on the 1995 James Bond film GoldenEye. It features a single-player campaign in which players assume the role of James Bond as he fights to prevent a criminal syndicate from using a satellite weapon against London to cause a global financial meltdown. The game itself includes a split-screen multiplayer mode, which up to four players can compete in different types of death matches. Development of the game began as early as 1995 and was handled by an inexperienced team who had previously worked as a programmer for a coin-op version of Killer Instinct. It was conceived originally as a side-scrolling platform game for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, but evolved into a 3D shooter uh, to, uh, similar to Sega's Virtual Cop. After two and a half years of development, GoldenEye 007 was released shortly before the release of the GoldenEye sequel Tomorrow Never Dies. Although the game faced low expectations from the gaming media, it received critical acclaim and sold more than 8 million copies, making it the third best-selling Nintendo 64 game. The game was praised for its visuals, gameplay, depth, and variety, and multiplayer modes, in 1998, it received the BAFTA Inter Interactive Entertainment Games Award and four awards from the Academy of Interna Interactive Arts and Sciences. Retrospectively, GoldenEye 007 is considered an important game in the history of first-person shooters for, demonst for demonstrating the viability of game consoles as platforms for the genre and signaling a transition from the then-standard Doom-like approach to to a more realistic style. It pioneered features such as atmospheric, single-player missions, stealth missions, and a console multiplayer deathmatch mode. The game is frequently cited as one of the greatest video games of all time. Now, the music for GoldenEye 007 was primarily composed by Graham Norgate and Grant Kirkhope. Norgate previously penned the music to Blast Core, while Kirkhope composed the music of Donkey Kong Land 2. Robert Beanland, the game's third composer, only wrote elevator music that can be heard in certain levels. Now, a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> elevator music, yes, I know, Jason. I actually approached uh, Grant Kirkhope, uh, and he was gracious enough to provide me with some music from the N64 game. Thanks a lot, Grant. So I have never played this game, Shock of Shocks, and Jason, I don't. I, I take it you probably haven't played uh, GoldenEye for the N sixty four. Correct. I've never played N sixty four. So <laughs> okay. Well, here is uh, some music from the uh, the GoldenEye 007 uh, by Grant Kirkhope. Thanks, Grant. Uh, thanks once again. Back in a bit.
playing with a little bit of music from the 1997 game GoldenEye. That's music by Grant Kirkhope. Well, Jason, I'm glad that you were able to make it on the show tonight. Uh, and you'll be joining me next week as well. Yes, looking forward to that one. All right. Yes. And I, well, how about, uh, uh, what have you got coming up? Well, I'm in the middle of working on the interview with Carlos Rafael Rivera, particularly talking about his score for the acclaimed series on Netflix, The Queen's Gambit, which ah, is yes. wonderful. One of, one of the scores of 2020, without any doubt. I'm also got some more interviews on the pipeline. I'll be starting soon on another edition of the archive. So I've got plenty of stuff coming your way very soon on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Awesome. Well, that's all for us this week. Uh, thanks for hanging in, those that did. Uh, before I end off today's show, I hope as you're getting on with your day, that you realize just how awesome you are. Don't let anybody tell you any different. If you're never ever not feeling right, there are people out there who care about you and are willing to chat. If not family, then some professional who can uh, help you in, in, in this case. As Rocky said, nobody hits harder than life. I know from personal experience how hard it is sometimes for me to sit behind this mic week after week when I feel like no one's listening. I never would have made it this far without a huge support team of people behind me. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, resources are available in case of emergency, please call 911 for immediate help. The Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, Depression Hurts, and the Kids Help Phone, 1-800-668-6868, all offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental health issues. Well, Jason, uh, join us Join us next week. As we head continue into November with a celebration of the 55th anniversary of the James Bond film Thunderball. Yes. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. We have uh, going like it's always cool to go back to the uh, to the to the John Barry scores of that era Uh, for me. uh, And of course, the the Tom Jones uh, opening theme. Uh, definitely. Now there are some interesting little side notes for, for Thunderball as well, but, uh, we won't get into those until next week. And, um, so I hope that, uh, you'll, you, uh, Jason and myself will have a great week until then. So I'll end off this week's show with a slightly different take on things. Um, this is from a, the video, a more recent video game, I believe 2015, uh, this is GoldenEye Remastered, and it actually features music by David Arnold and Kevin Kiner. But in this case, it also features a very interesting uh, opening theme, a redone version of the GoldenEye theme done by Tina Turner. In this case, performed by, and her name is Nicole Scherzinger. She sounds a lot like... <laughs> Tina Turner. So in this case, have yourself a great week and we will be back next week with more Visions in Sound.
reflections on the water More than darkness in the depths See him surface and never a shadow So close and be denied 